It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Welcome to the Taco Tuesday Mailbag. I am back talking about Texas Tech football since all the questions were about Texas Tech football. And that kind of makes sense, right? We're in the middle of the season and things aren't going well. I expect people to have questions. Um, without further ado, let's get right into it with our first question. First question was, how big of an issue is it for the defense going forward if the defensive line continues to be unable to get pushed. I think this question is basically asking, can you actually get better defensively without the defensive line, in particular the edge positions, playing better? And the short answer is not really. You know, you are what you are if guys like Miles Cole and Steve Linton just aren't involved in the pass rush. And it's not fair to Steve Linton to have these expectations of him to be the next Tyree Wilson because Tyree Wilson was a generational talent, but it remains to be seen whether or not Steve Wilson is even a productive big 12 edge. And at this point, survey says, no, that's, that's reality. I don't like calling out individual players who were trying so hard to live up to something they could an off season hype. They never could, but the, it is just reality. He is not productive in big 12 play outside that game against Baylor. So he, yeah, he's not a big 12 edge. He was not a starter at Syracuse, did not play a lot of minutes, and we're kind of finding out why. He's ineffective right now, and you cannot get better on the defensive line unless he steps up. Miles Cole is never really going to be that guy. They moved him out to that position. He's not looked comfortable there more often than not. It's Steve Linton or Bust, and he's not holding up his end of the bargain. That's just reality. I think the coaches would tell you the same. He has to play better, and if he's not going to, then we're where we are because I think the guys in the middle are holding up their edge of the bargain. But you know, the other side of this, the depth defensive linemen, I don't really think are doing a ton. Um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not <clears throat> trying to say that nobody is playing well outside the, you know, Hutchinson and Bradford, but it is tough to really point out someone who's really stepping up and really doing his job, you know, outside of those two guys. So, we need more from everybody, but it starts with Steve Linton, and it can end with him. If he does not perform, he's not impactful, can't hold the edge. I mean, he's failing. The, the edges are failing at every part of the job. They're getting washed down with ease. They're not holding the edge. They don't have good discipline. They're not getting pressure. They're not hitting the quarterback and getting them on the ground when they are home. So, 
you know, it is it is a big problem that they, they are not doing their job right now. This next question is about the offense. I expect a lot of questions of this, but, you know, I'm going to try not to, to re rehash things we've already kind of litigated in the recap episodes. The question is, is what would you do now if you were offensive coordinator, assuming Baron Morton can't play? <clears throat> First and foremost, we have no idea what the status of Morton's going to be. To be honest, the fact that he actually had to come out of games, at least to me, suggests he will not play against BYU. I imagine that it'll be Jake Strong. And if that is the case, which is what the question asks me to suppose, you have got to change how you call plays to prioritize handoffs to Taj Brooks and Cameron Valdez and also just attack short routes. Teams are going to play a lot of press coverage and load the box. They're going to try to take this away from you, both on the ground and the short routes. So you have to take advantage of that, and you have to take advantage of it by your receivers winning at the at winning, winning their routes because they have to get open in these intermediate throws. You need to get your tight ends more involved. Those guys are matchup nightmares against loaded boxes. They can find a lot of advantages out in the middle of the field when they can slip by. Um, I want a lot of half. I think you manufacture touches for Taj outside of just the rush game. I think you motion him out. He throws halfback swing passes and wheel routes, and you do these things that are easy so that Jake Strong can build confidence. He looked comfortable running the option. I think you do a lot more of that. I think he made great decisions with the option. Let him run a little RPO action, maybe. Let him run some more speed option. Let him run some true read option. He, he's, he's not, I mean, it's hard to tell from one big run how fast he is. He's not the fastest guy in the world by what we saw, but he's able to scamper, and when he gets free, he really has seems to have a good sense for it, and it can build confidence doing that. You want to attack vertically? I get it. At all offenses want to attack vertically. All offenses do. And deep down, want to be able to take the top off the team. But you're not going to do it with this quarterback. Not right now. He needs more time to develop in season. You can take those shots on occasion, but know when to take them. Short yardage situations are not the time. A, a second and one, take a shot. What are you losing? you got two more plays to pick up that yard. But be smart about it. Use routes that run to the middle of the field instead of ones that are just heading to the sideline. Give your quarterback, young quarterback, a chance. And I think you also slow down the game here. I think you really do, because if you don't slow down the game, you know, it's it's just reality that he could get flustered and overwhelmed and you can compound mistakes. So slow down the game a little bit. I think he'll get into a rhythm moving quick, not fast. Next question also on the offensive side of the ball. Offensive line is not run blocking that well, or at least didn't get to Kansas State. Is this a sign that now they're just bad at everything? That question's a little harsh, but I will answer it because it, it lets me speak about something that I wanted to speak about, which is that the offensive line did get bullied in, in run blocking. This is the first game they did not run block particularly well. I thought in past games, a lot of the issues were the scheme. Kitley had them running a scheme they weren't comfortable with. I thought against Baylor and Houston, you saw what happens when they're able to block the scheme they're comfortable with. Kansas State is a very good rush defense. Probably the best remaining when you can play besides Texas. And they took it, they just won. Kansas State won on both sides of the ball. We can point to a lot of things that went wrong with the play call and all that jazz. But if you're looking for other areas where you lost this game, Kansas State whipped you up front. I think the offensive line is still more comfortable run blocking than not. They're playing a much weaker front that BYU's putting out of there. You know, you should be able to bully ball BYU. So run the damn ball, let them run black. Because they're not they're not good at pass protection. You got a freshman quarterback back there. They're going to bring a lot of, I expect BYU to bring a lot of exotic pressures to try to get to this kid. I don't expect Baron Morton to play for what it's worth. If Baron Morton plays, the whole calculus of this change. If he's healthy and playing, everything's different. But assuming he's not, just play bully ball. These guys can block it. I think as long as you play to their strengths, they'll be able to do it. 
Now, this next question switches to the defensive side of the ball. How how impactful are the injuries really becoming to that side of the ball? It looks like the defense is starting to play worse each week. Well, I mean, you got to remember between Houston and this that outing against Kansas State, you had a great game against Baylor defensively. I think they only allowed like one or two drives that were actually concerning. They were all over the Bears. Granted, Baylor sucks, but <clears throat> what I'm getting at is we can't think that the defense is suddenly falling off, but the injuries are piling up. Not having C.J. Baskerville, I think, hurt you more than most people want to give you credit for. He's a guy who can really come down and help fill holes. Your linebacker depth, though, is where Kansas State really took advantage of. Defensive line wasn't necessarily their usual selves. I think they got pushed back a lot more than we're used to seeing. Against a Kansas State ground attack, that's pretty good. But the the end of the day, your linebackers did not fill at all properly. Your safeties were not able to get to the edge. You just didn't play well defensively. And I'm not ready to, to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say that, oh, this group is just too banged up to compete. I think they can do it. But every week is going to be a learning experience for these linebackers who just don't have the experience. If you had Jacob Rodriguez, if you had Baskerville, um, I think this is an entirely different – we're having a different conversation. I think those two guys alone would have made a massive difference in the Kansas State game. But, you know, you can't wish for people to get healthy and just see it happen. I think at this point they end up probably redshirting Rodriguez. Um, I think they're going to hold him back enough to do that so that he can get that extra year of eligibility under his belt. And it'll be good for the linebackers long-term to have him longer. But, you know, you depth is becoming a concern. You don't have a lot of true depth. There's some talent still there, but it gets thin in a hurry, and the longer these guys are out on the field, the worse. That's why the other reason you got to slow down the offense is you just need to rest your guys. Keep them rested. Keep them 100%, and good things will happen. All right, another question on the defensive side of the ball. I'm surprised by the number of defensive questions, but I guess I shouldn't be. The next question I've got is, why is the mobile quarterback such a black eye for Tech defensively? Short answer is it's a combination of factors. Number one being that you just don't prioritize contain, and number two being aggression overall. But the longer answer is that it's it's because of a combination of everything that you see from a defensive perspective. It's not just the aggression or not prioritizing a spy. It's the lack of experience at linebacker. It's the injuries on the back end. These guys are are uh, increasingly not are increasingly tested and tired. It's harder for them to get downhill and run support. Um, it's 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 an increased uh, uh, it's an increasing pressure on your defensive line every week to hold the edge, something they haven't been good on. It's it's they back the the reserve defensive linemen, not the edges, but the reserve DLs are not doing their job and getting the push and contain. It's everything, right? Like the, all the problems that the defense have come to rest with this quarterback mobility issue. Um, you know, because it's you know the, the inability to set the edge, quarterbacks are able to escape. Not prioritizing contain or spies means there's nobody really looking for it. Um, the exotic pressures, the aggression overall to get to the quarterback, um, that means we're selling out for it. And then the biggest problem, one that's been a problem all year, you're not finishing when you get the quarterback in your arms. Way too often this season, the defense isn't getting guys in the ground, on the ground. But then there's you know inexperience on the back end now, or less talent on the back end than there used to be. Guys are playing more reps and getting tired. It leads to mental lapses both in coverage and watching your quarterback and getting turned around and getting up downhill to support the run against the run. So it's a lot of things that, that do it. But if I was going to say the simplest answer, it's just you're, you don't prioritize as a defense stopping this thing. You don't. Tim DeRuiter does not prioritize it. He doesn't prioritize contain. He prioritizes aggression, blitzing, and exotic looks to get the quarterback on the ground in the pocket. And unfortunately for Tech, you've played several teams this year 
that are good at avoiding that. And then Avery Johnson just made you look foolish, and your defensive line kind of got whipped. But there's also the thing about that game in particular. I know why the question's being asked. This, the life just got sucked out of this defense of what the offense was doing. <clears throat> I mean, really, that's that's the simplest thing. They played with no energy because the offense couldn't give them a spark, and they couldn't find one for themselves. you got to remember, 17-14 late in this game before Avery Johnson just went off. And when he went off was the result of he threw three straight picks, and one of which came on a really good drive that should have ended in points and could have gotten back in the game. And you also had that fourth and two stuff where you threw the vertical shot. So those things just sucked the energy out of the defense and left them particularly vulnerable to these kind of back-breaking ones. All right, we got one last question. Can Texas Tech make a bowl game? Yes. I mean, mathematically, you have five games remaining. You have tough contests against Texas and Kansas ahead, but you also have matchups with UCF and BYU. You've got to get those two. If you get those two, I think you're in really good shape. Because then you just got to find a way to beat either TCU, Kansas, or Texas. TCU's in between, right? Like, BYU and UCF are must-wins for bowl eligibility. TCU and Kansas are that next tier. I think Kansas is a bit better than um, TCU if Daniels is healthy and playing. So we'll see about his long-term health. But you could lose every remaining game on your schedule, and it would not shock me. You could win every remaining game on your schedule, and it would not shock me. You are good enough to compete with anybody, but you play down to almost every team you've been up against that's been worse than you. Play down to West Virginia. Play down to Wyoming. And you sure as shit played to Kansas State's level. And uh, other than Oregon, who I thought played badly against you, you just haven't looked like... I mean, Baylor was the only example of a game I can think, and really Tarleton State, but they don't count, but Baylor was the example of where you were better than Baylor start to finish. You kind of let them have a little bit of a window to get back in the game, but you largely just shut the door. Now, you can't do that to BYU or UCF and let them hang around. You have to play like the Power 5 team you are. Even without the depth, you should bully these two teams. Pretty much everybody else is. Take care of business against those two. I think you could beat TCU if Baron Morton's healthy and you've gotten some guys back. I think you could do it. And then you're bowl eligible. Look, if you're coming down to it, you're 5-7 and seven this year. Wouldn't surprise me. But I think you can find six wins, and I'm not giving up hope. It is disappointing that that's what we're basically playing for at this point. I'm so fucking tired of playing for just being ball eligible. That's one of those reasons you beat BYU, then you've got TCU. I think if you can get on a bit of a run, you've got three tough, you've got three games here. BYU, TCU, then Kansas. If you can spark a run and get the win streak going, then you're playing for something other than just fucking ball eligibility. You're playing to one, ruin Texas this year, but two, getting to eight and four after everything you've been through would be a phenomenal accomplishment. A bit disappointing considering your preseason height, but it's something to build off of. You can still do things this year to build your program up. I'm just not confident right now that they absolutely are like locks to do it. So that's all the time we've got. As always, like, subscribe, follow, whatever it is on whatever major podcasting platform. Let us know what other questions you have. I keep these pretty brief because it's a solo thing. I don't like to talk for 30 minutes straight without rest. Um, though I do talk a lot, but we will have an episode tomorrow night where we have a great interview with some BYU folks. We'll also have our preview podcast coming out, various articles for you guys to enjoy. Enjoy the rest of your week. Reckham, we will talk to you guys again very soon.